Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. I'm your host, Chad Madden. This week, I wanted to share with you a recording from a recent webinar that I hosted. To get access to the slides and videos of this recording, you can visit getbreakthrough.com forward slash resources. Remember, this was a training hosted with a live audience, so there are real-time questions and answers that I think you will find valuable. Without further ado, let's get started. I hope you enjoyed this episode. So today we're going to be talking about getting control, mastering your, your EBITDA, um, how to increase your practice value in spite of the reimbursement challenges that we're all facing. All right, so we'll get started here. Um, so how to get the most out of our time together here, block off your time. Obviously, you're here, minimize distractions, do whatever you need to do uh, to do that. Grab something to write on and write with. And I'll try to point out um, at least things that I think would be important uh, for you to write down. And we'll have an exclusive offer here at the end as well. In our time together, we're going to be first covering barriers to growing practice value, especially in this challenging environment. Um, and literally, we're going through this in our practice right now, solving it, helping other owners solve this um, simultaneously. What determines practice value? We're going to look at a formula there, how to calculate it. Um, I'll be sharing my story. Uh, specifically, I had helped um, somebody who was teaching Oddly enough, at Silicon Valley Bank, in uh, a course to investment bankers, at the end, he sh- uh, and this gentleman, Jason, is his name, Jason Ye, um, had looked at hundreds of pitches uh, in the venture capital world and startup world. And um, I asked him for the best pitch deck that he had ever seen. Um, he shared that with me. And then I injected our own, uh, my own personal practice into that. And I'll be sharing that with you some slides from that deck as well. So you can think about it for your own um, for your own practice um, and start thinking along those same lines. And then we'll be talking about uh, a 13-week masterclass that we already have underway right now and when the next uh, masterclass is starting specifically around practice growth. And then we'll open this up for Q&A. So this is for you if you are um, experiencing declining reimbursements right now. I, just out of curiosity, is anybody here 100% cash pay? So you're out of network with every insurance company. You don't accept any insurance company. Um, just so I can cater uh, my conversation as we're going through. Is anybody 100% cash pay? No, no, no. Just if you are, just type in yes. Um, in the chat, but I'm, I'm assuming that most of us are participating with insurances, but every once in a while we'll have an owner come through who says, you know, this doesn't apply to me. I'm hundred percent cash, but it really does um, apply in today's market. Okay. Karen, thank you. Um, so Karen, you're 100% cash pay out of network with everybody. So with declining reimbursements or for you, Karen, you know, if you're hundred percent cash pay, um, any price resistance that you have in the market now with, you know, the inflation um, that is going on. Okay, so you're billing out of network. So you can still get price resistance. 
Um, is that real in the marketplace for you right now, or you're in an area that is affluent and people are not price resistant at all? Okay, we've got a yes. Thank you. So what can happen is, especially with this economic environment, with declining reimbursement or a lower willingness to pay, um, is as practice owners, we can feel undervalued within the healthcare system. And, you know, right now it's increasingly difficult, challenging to be profitable in most areas um, of the U.S. So you're in the right place if you want to be able to confidently grow your practice so that you can avoid having to sell um, for less than what your practice is worth today, you know, pennies on the dollar. You want to be able to sell whether in the next two, five, or 10 years and retire, you know, knowing that your hard work paid off and that you're valued and respected in the marketplace. So in the next hour, I'll give you, we're going to cover quite a bit here in the agenda, but I'll give you a simple and clear plan that you can follow to confidently grow your practice so that you can sell at maximum value and avoid having to sell um, for less than what you believe you're worth. You'll learn the formula. I'll be sharing that with you that you can calculate what your practice is worth. It's pretty simple and straightforward. We had a lot of sort of here um, and you'll learn the, you know, the same strategies that we just had a valuation done here in April. Um, and that valuation was 20.8 million. Um, so I know that's what we're worth in today's marketplace. Um, the other thing that I'll be sharing here at the end is the pro forma template. And this is how you can go through. We've been teaching on this a lot, especially around profitability, but you can look at your practice today based on the last 12 months, your profit and loss. And then you can look through, you know, what would happen if I would change my payer mix? What would happen if I would drop a lowest payer? What would happen if I would renegotiate rates? What would happen if I would add a cash pay service? What would happen if I would maximize the use of the schedules for the clinicians um, that I currently employ? What would happen if we would maximize the utilization of the space that we're already paying for each month? So there are four different scenarios uh, within the pro the pro forma template. And again, I'll be sharing that here with you at the end. So if we look at what's happening in today's physical therapy market, uh, specifically, this is the physician fee schedule, um, the conversion factor for the last seven years or so. And you can see it does not look good. And we already have, you know, July 14th, um, they came out with another proposal, which proposes a 3.4% reduction uh, to this conversion factor once again. So decreased reimbursements, not new. Um, increased employment expenses and other costs. Um, I saw recently that if we compare uh, business and operating costs to pre-pandemic, so go to 2019, that we have about a 17% increase in the cost of doing business. We know that back in 2018, 2019, the average margin within private practice PT was 14.6%. We had a 17% increase in cost. And I believe this is a little bit north of a 10% reduction in, um, in reimbursements at least for those of us that are participating with federal payers. The end result is that many of us have fallen below a 10% profit margin. That's significant because, you know, as I've shared before, Greg Crabtree, we worked with Greg Crabtree, who's a CPA 
um, years ago. And the one thing that he shared is within the healthcare service-based industry, anytime we fall below a 10% profit margin in a service-based business, we're a speed bump away from having to close our doors. So we're we're skating on thin ice or any other cliche uh, figure of speech you want to throw in there. You know, in the end, we have dramatically shrinking profits. Um, yeah. And the end result is clinicians are leaving private practice for hospitals and healthcare systems, and it's increasingly hard to hire. Um, so in the end, you know, what's this creating? We're earning le- less revenue from each patient coming through our doors. We have an overall increase in expense. We're understaffed. It's tough to hire and retain. You know, a few years ago, we might have been able to offer five or $10,000 a year more to the therapist um, as they were walking out the door. Very difficult uh, to offer that um, today. Underutilized space is a common theme in practices we're talking with, razor thin margins in the end. And what that has, what's happened for many owners is they they had plans on opening and expanding, uh, maybe expanding an existing clinic or opening a new clinic. And it's increasingly difficult to grow a, a practice that is going to leave a bigger impact in these market conditions um, because it's because of the, the the lower profit margins. And really what this should spell out for you. So when the going is good, and maybe this is just me and a handful of other uh, business owners, but when the going is good, when it, when everybody is able to grow and expand and uh, profit margins are high, which they've been on a pretty rough 25-year downtrend um, in, in private practice, but when they're good, it's hard to be unique and differentiated in the marketplace. But what it does is if you're a very astute owner, uh, very aware of what's going on in the marketplace, you know that most other practices are going through the same thing. And it really gives you an opportunity to differentiate yourself um, in the marketplace. It's easier to do that today than it was five years ago. So, you know, the Ryan Holiday book, uh, The Obstacle is the Way, it's very much that same thing here if you recognize the op- the potential opportunity in the marketplace. Um, this, you know, th- this training is. Uh, through breakthrough, the the full hour here, you know, what we do, um, you can see the Carl Mattiola up up there at the top and me with uh, hair a few years ago. But, you know, our vision, our goal, our purpose, mission is to help people overcome their health challenges naturally. The best way for us to do that is by working with private practice owners like you and we do that mainly through direct-to-consumer marketing that increases the demand for your services. So timeline for my personal practice, um, we opened in September of 2003. So September 2nd will be celebrating 20 years in practice. Pretty cool. Um, the you know Very quickly, we had doubled our growth. Um, the original practice, the business plan was for 48 visits a week by March which was six months in business. We had more than doubled that to over hundred visits in a week or 96 there it says, but I think we hit 108 um, shortly thereafter. And then we plateaued, right? Uh, had trouble hiring clinicians. Uh, I was relatively significantly younger at the time. We'll leave it at that um, in my mid twenties. And then um, we, we 
I learned how to hire. We also learned how to market effectively to physicians. And in November of 2008, we had an all-time high of 154 physician referrals in a single month to a single location. Around that time, the hot three hospital systems in our area started buying up uh, the physicians, family physicians in our area. They now employ 90% plus of the referral sources we have here. Um, in the same, so I am in that original office, 154 physician referrals in a single month. I believe that was November of 2008. Yep. November of 2008. Um, last month we had 25. So physician referrals have gone away. That's now been confirmed by the, you know, the study done in journal of general internal medicine saying there was a 50 plus percent decrease in physician referrals to PT from 2003 to 2014. So referral sources began drying up and then that we took a step backwards in our practice, opened up a second location um, at that time, but really struggled to fill the schedules and fill the space. And then we started um, learning in 2011. This says transition to direct access. It's really marketing direct to the consumer. You and I say direct access, but um, and went full bore into studying marketing direct to the consumer. 2016, we had an independent valuation done of 4 million. And then we, in 2017, like I shared, Mike and I had planned on, you know, 20% year over year growth, um, started opening up additional de novos. And we, we created a plan, wrote a plan out through 2030. Um, in 2021, summer of 2021, we had an independent valuation of 11 million. And as many of you know, in 2022, April of 2022, sold 70% of the practice for 11.5 million. The valuation then was 16.5 million. Again, you can read about this. And we just did have another valuation done at the 20.8. But um, the reason that I'm sharing that with you is that uh, this is this is not theory. This is what is happening in today's market, not only in my practice, but other owners that we're working with as well. So there are three common things that get in the way that are barriers to achieving you know, that your desired practice value. Number one is unrealistic owner expectations. And uh, I've talked with quite a few owners, um, we'll say dozens of owners um, in the last uh, 24 months, you know, and if you think about what happened in the pandemic, which we've all, you know, that we all had to live through and survive through, you know, there was a, a massive step back that was alarming in April of 2020. Fast forward to a year later, recovery is underway. Probably about half of the market um, is getting back to their, their pre-pandemic levels in, in 2021, continuing the recovery there. And I know for quite a few owners, um, they had you know thought, well, I can go out into the, the market today and sell for what my practice was doing before the pandemic. And there was a little bit of a rude awakening there for many owners because um, that was not really the case. The And it, it took a while for the market to recover. However, by um, in you know, 2021, 2022, the multiples, uh, the, the practice value valuations were starting to come uh, back in. However, they were particularly strong for the practices that had fully recovered. 
in spite of having the pandemic, Mike and I, and for our practice, and by the way, Mike's, uh, it's Mike Gilbert. So it's Maddening Gilbert PT. So he's my partner here um, in the private practice. But um, as we were uh, recovering, we never went back and changed the original vision. So I think in 2017, we saw roughly 41,000 visits. In 2018, we added 20%. So it was 49,000. Then I think we went to like 57 or 58. Um, and we d- we continued that annual growth. And for example, this year, I know the goal, if you multiply out that 20% year-over-year growth is 108,000. We're actually, we're slightly ahead of that right now in terms of visits per year and our growth. So in spite of the pandemic, we never sought to go back to where we were before. We wanted to catch up to the 20% year-over-year growth and we're able to do that. That made us significantly more value valuable uh, within the marketplace. And I would consider that. So I would avoid having the conversation. We're back to pre-pandemic levels now. It's okay, we're back on track with year-over-year growth. When that is not present, frequently the owner will have, they will see uh, practice have another, you know, large valuation in here, like somebody sold out of 10 multiple or something like that. And they'll think, well, I can get that too. And usually um, that is not the case. So the vast majority of the time, there's an unrealistic uh, owner expectation that is more about what they what the owner is looking for and not what the marketplace is valuing. Um, so yeah, that, that's the number one thing that I see is a, an unrealistic expectation in terms of valuation. The second big barrier is ignoring the buyer or the, the market's perspective. So if you think about it this way, and, and this is when I got the deck from Jason that I'm about to uh, share some of the highlights with you, what it did for me is it made me think about our practice if I were an investor. Right? Would I invest in our practice? And it completely shifted my mindset from, you know, what do we want to get out of this? To, well, what does the, what does the, what's the buyer looking for? Right. So, um, and if you ignore that, um, it, it can be pretty painful. So, you know, I I've had now I think three different situations where I was talking with an owner. They were their practice. They were the primary primary provider. And they had, you know, they wanted to get a, a five or a seven multiple, knowing that um, after the transition happened, you know, like if we would acquire them or merge with them, that they wanted to be done with the practice. Well, that's not very valuable to me as the buyer. However, on the flip side, and especially when I was in my early private practice career, I never once thought about that, right? I just kind of dreamed that, hey, maybe there's one day. Um, and you know, this has grown beyond anything I ever thought that or ever imagined we would do in the beginning. Um, but you know, one day somebody's going to pay me for my practice and I can just go retire. And that's the, you, you want to make sure that, you know, if you're in that situation and you're the primary provider, the primary clinician, uh, selling your services within the marketplace, that that's not really a, a great, uh, scenario for the buyer, right? And think, you know, if, if you were a buyer, if you were going to pay three hundred thousand or a million dollars or five million dollars for a practice, what what would you be looking for in that practice? And then reverse engineer it that way. And then finally, you know, underestimating the value of systems is is key. If everything is in your head, um, or 
you know, you have an amazing receptionist who is just or office manager who's just crushing everything. And there's nothing that's uh, systematic or consistent about your practice. Um, it's probably the the number one thing that I would look for as a buyer, or you know, if I were uh, out there acquiring practices, I want to know what systems that they have in place that are going to create uh, consistent growth in the future. They don't have those systems um, that practice is significantly less valuable. So there, when we're talking about practice value, there are three main factors, and we've published lists from, you know, Paul Welkin working with Randy Roush in the past. Um, I think the last list that we published had 17 different factors. These are the, these are the top three. Number one is the size of your practice and specifically the earnings of your practice. So, you know, if let's say, you know, let's say our practice is doing a hundred thousand visits a year and our margin is 20%, right? And we also look at another practice doing 100,000 visits a year, 8,000 visits a month. And rather than a 20% margin, they have an 8% margin, right? Well, that's going to be dramatically different. So the 100,000 at 20% is going to be 2 million in earnings, right? The 100,000 visits at, and that's a rough estimate, the 100,000 at 8%. Um, is going to be 800,000 in earnings. They're dramatically different, right? So even though they're seeing the same amount of visits come through on a weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual basis, when the earnings are different, um, that that it's, it's the number one driver for practice value. And I'll share a sliding scale with you um, that, you know, as the other thing you need to know is as interest rates rise, the 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 multiples being to practices genuine or typically they'll drop. So the Fed has raised the interest rates 5.5% in the last 18 months. Um, that has, and I think there have been 13, 12 or 13 interest rate hikes. That has put a damper on uh, practice value. But nonetheless, if you have a healthy EBITDA, you can overcome um, a lot of that, right? So that is senior, that trumps uh, what's going on within the interest rate market right now. Um, so the second is that you have consistent growth, right? You know, would you want to invest in a business that is flatlining or would you want to invest in one that has shown consistent growth over the last five or 10 years? Obviously it's the latter, right? And if you think about that, you know, and especially if you pay attention to like the stock market or equities or anything like that, like gross stocks, people will pay a premium for growth, like a, you know, Meta or Google or Tesla or whatever it might be. So it's the the promise of future growth that people are paying a premium for. If the company is quite static, like an AT&T or, you know, um, Procter and Gamble or Johnson and Johnson, and they're they're relatively static with minimal growth year over year. Um, you're not going to get a premium, right? Uh, for it. so that's something else to think about and apply to your practice. You want to be able to demonstrate consistent growth. For us, um, and I'll talk more about this later. It for us, we did that via rapid growth in our de novo clinics. So we're and I just had another. I got a really good text. I can read it to you here. 
um, that I just got um, a day ago, but from a practice owner in Arkansas. But you know, we're able to open up space and fill that space relatively quickly. So in 2018, we opened up in, well, I'll give you our COVID clinic. March 3rd, March 9th of 2020, we opened up in Shrewsbury in 2000 square feet. March 13th, 2020, our clinic was essentially shut down. Uh, we had one new patient in all of April of 2020. So absolutely devastating. Had just invested a lot of money in opening this practice, a new de novo, and um, now we had the pandemic. So um, fast forward, that clinic recovered very quickly by July of that year. They were back on track for what we would expect um, in terms of getting new patients in, in spite of all the restrictions and everything that we had. Um, by 2022, mid-2022, they had outgrown the space. They were seeing over 200 visits a week in the 2,000 square feet. So we consider that outgrowing the space. And they added on an additional 3,000 square feet. They're now up to 350, 360 visits in a week. With no, Their issue is they can't get people in uh, quickly enough, right? So there's a bit of a waiting list there as well in spite of expanding. So they just hired another clinician, sixth full-time clinician, maybe seventh. And uh, yeah, they'll... Um, they'll, they'll fill that 5,000 square feet pretty quickly. So we've been able to demonstrate that time and time again, where we're opening a de novo in a short period of time, we can fill, fill that space and, and demonstrate that consistent growth. And then finally is, uh, opportunities to expand. So, you know, the way that you would look at this and determining your, your practice value is, you know, is there something advantageous about your practice and the footprint uh, of where you're drawing patients from that is advantageous to the acquirer, to the potential acquirers. That's going to drive uh, practice value as well. So if you're unable to hire, attract good clinicians, if you don't have much of a pipeline or a talent pipeline or you know mentorship program or anything like that for developing new clinicians, that's going to be a barrier that that acquirer is going to have to overcome. Um, and you, you want to be thinking about that. So not just geography, but what's your, what is your ability of your company to be able to, uh, take on additional space, expand additional existing spaces, open new clinics, and then fill that space with, uh, competent clinicians. So size of practice, what it stands for EBITDA earnings before interest taxes depreciation, and amortization. Earnings are really your profits or revenue minus expenses. Um, yeah, your your profits or a way to calculate that is revenue minus expense. Interest, um, pretty self-explanatory, but you know, if you have a carry, you're carrying a hundred thousand dollar SBA loan on your business and you're paying that business, yes, that's deducted by um off of your taxes as a business expense but it's actually added back into your earnings um in the eyes of the acquirer and in the eyes of any merger and acquisition speak so that counts as earnings um taxes obviously any federal income taxes and state or local taxes that you're paying within your region on your business that would be removed depreciation 
um, which, yeah, so you buy a $50,000 piece of equipment and you um, depreciate that or amortize it over the next 36 months or 60 months, that would come off um, as that expense, which you've already officially paid for, um, that would come off as well in the calculation of EBITDA. The magic formula for calculating practice value, very, very simple, is earnings. So you take that EBITDA, earnings or EBITDA, times a multiple is your practice value. So in the stock market, how this will uh, usually be calculated is price per earning, price per earnings, PE ratio, right? So I mentioned before, like a, a Procter and Gamble or Johnson and Johnson, I don't, off the top of my head, I'm guessing they're trading at like an eight to 10 multiple, right? So even though they're billions of dollars in size and earnings and all this other stuff, they're trading at a relatively low multiple because the, the future earnings growth is, is fairly slow. However, you take a company like um, Tesla or you know a software company like Salesforce, and they may trade at, I think Tesla right now might be at like 80 to 100 uh, for the multiple. And you know uh, Salesforce, which their ticker is CRM, is trading at like 600, right? So without any growth at all, it would take 600 years to earn back and profit the value of the company. However, they're growing at 50 to 100% year over year, right? Same thing with Tesla has gone on an absolute rocket ride in the last few years in terms of their, their revenue and their earnings. So the multiple is determined by the 15 variables of which I just gave you the three most important ones. And to determine your multiple, if you want to look at fair market value within the last uh, 12 to 24 months, you can work with a CPA or you can do it yourself. Again, I mentioned Paul Welk, Randy Rausch. They're both highly involved in the marketplace now. There are a few specialists unique um, within, you know, that specialize within private practice. So in general, your earnings, you know, if your annual earnings, not revenue, but earnings, it's under 300K a year, you're looking at like a one to three multiple, like that sort of range. Yes, there may be something completely unique to your business that I can't, but I'm speaking in generalities here. If we go, go up to the next level, 400 to 600K, there you're talking about, you know, five to seven. Um, the, when you get up, you know, a million or more, um, that's where you can start to see the eight to 10, especially if there's consistent growth, especially if you have some marketplace advantages um, as well. So very simply earnings times the multi, and it's usually trailing 12 months. So you'll see TTM uh, for earnings times a multiple, which is determined by the marketplace usually equals your practice value. So very difficult to have a practice that's at 150K in earnings per year and go out into the marketplace and demand a 10. And within, so there's something fairly common that I see um, I've seen it executed one time ever. And, but, uh, you know, there's this idea that, well, let's join up 10 or 20 practices together, have a higher earnings, you know, and then sell cumulatively together. Uh, just warning to the wise on that. Um, anytime that you're considering doing that, all of your systems have to be aligned for the acquirer. 
you know, the choir is not going to want to go deal with like three different EMRs because, you know, they're never going to be able to tell, or they're going to have to work with a lot of man hours, extra man hours to understand where everything is at financially and with revenue cycle. Um, so don't realize that that, that idea is not new. It's been around for, you know, 20 plus years, but it's something that I hear people talking about all the time. And we're all going to ride off into the sunset together. And somebody's going to write us a check for a very large, um, a very large multiple. And I've heard somebody recently threw a 20 out at me and I was like, I'll, I'll believe that when it happens, but there's a lot of organization that you have to do in systems in order to be able to exit like that. So, hey, yeah, uh, there was a question on the previous slide. Um, when you say earnings here, are you, are you describing net revenue or the final EBITDA number? My understanding is earnings is like synonymous with EBITDA here. Absolutely right. Earnings and EBITDA, same thing. Yep. Great. Thank you. So um, the, we went back and, you know, mapped out when we were going through this exercise, uh, the Madden Gilbert annual growth, you know, demonstrating that consistent growth. You want to be able to do this as well. So, you know, we talked about uh, and and we were fully transparent, you know, 23, 2013 to 20, 2017, we didn't have much growth. I was super comfortable with, uh, you know, uh, two practice locations at the time. And we were just trying to fill the space that we had. We didn't really start opening de novos until 2018. So open one there, two in 2020. And do we have another one. Uh, yeah, the next one was April of 2021. So you can see we quickly got back on track. And even if you carry it out, again, we're over 100,000 visit run rate per year now. So demonstrate, you want to be able to demonstrate that. The other thing that um, has have, has given us a lot of freedom, especially when we're going into a new market, like I mentioned Shrewsbury, we also, April of 2021, opened a clinic in Hershey. And uh, that was 2,000 square feet. Within uh, 18 months, we had filled that space. Jan is our director there, um, had filled that space. And now we've taken over another 2,000 square feet there. Um, but the the reason that we're able to do that is because of building up patient demand. And the old game when we first opened was, you know, getting physicians to refer to us. And I talked about the challenges there and how the market changed. But we we have a very consistent approach of how we build up patient demand. So we market to past patients and the general public. Three places that referrals in private practice can come from. Number one is professional referrals. So physicians, PAs, nurse practitioners. When that went away, we had to rely on the other two. Uh, past patient marketing and you know going to the general public. So, or what many people call a cold traffic. So how do we do that? You know, we have to our past patient list, um, you know, we have twice a month, we're sending out email campaigns, which are a series of emails that encourage reactivations and also word of mouth referrals. We do two-way texting and other, you know, multiple ways to communicate with patients, not only via email, but also text. We mail a patient newsletter every single month. And then twice a year, we'll host an event um, that's really a reactivation event for our past patients. For the general public, um, we run two workshop events in-house each month. Actually, while I have this on, I just want to read this really quick. Uh, 
I'll just read the text and I know I'm making Andrea nervous right now because I'm going to read a text. So this was from an owner in Arkansas who we work with, Lance. Hope all is well. Just wanted to share something that you would appreciate. And I just got this text. Uh, We opened a new clinic this week. I believe this is clinic number 14. We've completed, we had 42 visits this week. So that's week number one and have 58 on schedule next week, all in a no stoplight town with a population of 2,400. I said, wow, that's great. What did you do? We marketed to the community. So exactly in line with this marketed to the community and past patient list for two months. We had an open house two weeks prior to opening. We filled the schedule Monday and Tuesday with evals. Our goal was to have 10 evals and 20 to 25 visits this week. We outdid ourselves. Mostly stuff I've learned since being involved with you guys. Thanks. See you in October, which happens to be our next live event. So, um, yeah, again, this is the formula that we use. We help other owners do the same exact formula um, when we're opening a new clinic. And then what happens is as that past patient list grows over time, um, it the, our cost of acquisition for a patient goes down. So realize this, that when you're opening a new clinic, there's going to be some upfront investment in terms of going straight to the consumer uh, because it it's cold traffic. It's those people don't know, like, and trust you yet. So we have really a a specific campaigns for that. And then as we build that patient list over time in a, you know, clinic like Hershey, which is a little over two years old or Shrewsbury, which is three years old. Now we we're getting more and more new patients coming back to us that are reactivations or word of mouth referrals from our past patient marketing. But it's that one, two punch that that's key um, when you're building demand for your services. The third one is opportunities to expand. So, you know, demonstrating success and scaling new clinics is is key um, in valuation. So uh, yeah, before we had opened six, before we went through the acquisition that we've opened another one since then in Lancaster, but um, you can see the numbers here. So, and the reason that I included Mechanicsburg is because I didn't really know what I was doing back in 2009 and made some pretty big mistakes in expanding, um, opening that first de novo clinic. And then learn my lesson by 2018. You can see Dolphin, we ramped up pretty quick there, you know, getting up to 2000 quarterly visits, which is over 600 visits per month. Um, and that is in a very small town as well, less than 3000 people, Cedar Cliff, Shrewsbury, Hershey, all we had, you know, very, very consistent growth, um, as well in terms of filling up the space, filling up the schedules there pretty quick, but you want to be able to, to demonstrate. The other thing that we talk about is, uh, this was a flywheel and this was in our, our deck that we put together. Um, as we were thinking about uh, yeah, bringing on a partner. So th- this is how we think about practice growth. So the first thing we invest in marketing and buying market share that drives new patients. When we have new patients and we've created demand for our service, we have new patients come in, new patients drive visits, visits drive income and revenue. And then what do we do with that? Well, we invested in growth. So we invest in space and equipment, hiring personnel primarily. And then we also invest in marketing, buying more market share. So a practice that is generating, you know, a new practice, new location that's doing 40,000 a month 
right? We have a marketing budget of roughly $4,000 a month. When that practice grows to $100,000 a month in revenue, now we have 10K a month. So we're buying more and more of, we're using our grossly revenue in the early stages of a clinic, de novo clinic, in order to expand and fill the space. Once we achieve that, then we start looking at, once we you know, fully utilized our schedules and our space, now we think about getting more efficient, getting more viable, and grab uh, more margin then. You know, yes, if we can go from a 10%, once the schedules and we've, once we fill the schedules, once we fill the space, then we start to get, um, we focus on margin, profit margin. Yeah. So, you know, Jay Abraham said this is one of my favorite quotes of all time. There are three ways to grow a business. You can increase the number of clients. That's more new patients. That's what our industry has been saying for 20 years. Increase the average size of the sale per client. That's something that is starting to come in right now, you know, where we're talking about adding cash pay services or going out of network with certain clients so we can realize more revenue um, or making sure patients don't fall off the schedule and increase the number of times that clients return and buy again. That's in our industry, that's reactivation. And so we have three systems to focus on as we're building that. Marketing, market share, just like I shared in the flywheel. So we want to have systems and processes there. Personnel, you know, it, if we're in a situation where we've been advertising for a PT for five years and we haven't been able to hire one, and that's the first scenario. And the second scenario is, we not only hired three PTs, but we have a waiting list of five others that we're just looking to um, have space for. Obviously, that latter situation is significantly more valuable in the marketplace. So that's personnel. And then the other one is finance. You know, do we have a tight control on our numbers um, as well and understand where we're investing money that is giving us a good uh, return on that capital and where we're not investing money. So de novos, um, you know, we were able to show this de novo cost us $150,000. And now, you know, here's the, the profitability, here's the margin on that and how quickly we were able to, um, get that, that money back. Another practice owner, uh, that I'll mention here, uh, Joe and Kathy Scarpito, owners that were in New Jersey, um, who've now successfully retired. But when we first started working with uh, Joe and Kathy, they had had a valuation done. They worked with us for uh, less than a year and more than doubled the value of their practice. And we're again, able to exit and successfully retire by putting, by building these exact systems in that I'm talking about. We'll open this up for Q&A. If you have any questions, on EBITDA, practice value, profitability, other factors to look at or consider that we didn't discuss, feel free to type those in the, the Q&A tab within your, uh, your Zoom bar, and I'll be happy to answer those for you. Also, Andrea, um, if you can post the link for the pro forma, if you have oh, it. Yeah. Yep, I was just about to ask about that. So I'll share the pro forma link here in the chat. One second. Question from Nick. Does QuickBooks calculate earnings? No idea. I uh, So I do not use QuickBooks. Uh, not, I mean, it's been a, a while since we did that. Um, yeah, I'm not sure, Nick. Does anybody else on the call use QuickBooks? 
So and Teresa, use QuickBooks. Nick asked, can you calculate earnings with QuickBooks? I would think you could. You can probably get a trailing 12 month revenue, a gross revenue figure, an expense figure, and then specifically interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. You should be able to do that or, you know, with your working with your CPA, you should be able to see that and, and back it out. All right. Well, if there are no further questions, we can wrap it up here. Thanks so much, Chad, for the great content. And thank you everyone for joining and for your engagement and participation. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Hello, podcast listeners. I apologize for my voice. Recently suffered a traumatic blow to my trachea, but nonetheless, wanted to share something with you. Uh, and you know, a recurring issue amongst breakthrough owners over the last few years has been hiring and keeping top-notch employees. You know, many have lost significant staff members to higher-paying jobs, often in local hospital systems or or healthcare systems. Another common concern is the difficulty of finding candidates despite regular advertising efforts. However, there's good news. We're hosting a live event in Denver, Colorado from October 5th through 7th, specifically designed to help you improve your hiring processes. We'll, we'll concentrate on attracting, helping you attract high quality employees and teaching you how to incentivize and retain them so that your business can have a greater impact in your community by helping more people, serving more people. Industry is always shifting, which is why we've created new sessions specifically on employee recruitment and retention. You'll hear from current practice owners and industry experts who are navigating these issues right now in the trenches of private practice. This event is going to take place again October 5th through 7th, but remember, seats must be reserved ahead of time as the training is exclusively for private practice owners. To reserve your seat, go to info.getbreakthrough.com forward slash fall 2023. At the event, you're going to learn the eight phases of the hiring pipeline. You're going to learn, and this is a new session, ways to improve employee engagement, the four levels of competence and confidence where we're going to talk about situational leadership uh, all, and having crucial conversations. And then we're also going to have a special session specifically on recruitment strategies that are working in today's market. Again, the event is October 5th through 7th in Denver, Colorado. To reserve your seat, go to info.getbreakthrough.com forward slash fall 2023. Also, a lot of owners will ask, can I bring my team along? Absolutely. Our best practices will frequently bring, you know, 10 or more of their team members along as well. So if you have a team member who's key in helping you hire and retain your other employees, maybe it's a clinical director, or center manager, certainly you can bring them along as well. Remember to visit getbreakthrough.com to access our free resource library designed specifically for private practice growth. While you're there, Make sure you register for a complimentary growth assessment to learn about potential opportunities for growth in your local market. Again, thank you for tuning into the Grow Your Practice podcast and supporting our mission to help people in pain get back to normal naturally.